Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, and you'll be able to follow along in your bulletins. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, good morning, everybody. So good to see you uh, on this third Sunday of Advent, we are going to take a deep dive into the passage of Scripture that was just read for us out of Ephesians chapter 3, and I'm so excited. My goal for this sermon is for all of us to understand the teaching of this passage, so we're going to go through it verse by verse, but along with that, A goal that's just as important is that all of us in this room would experience the surpassing love of God described in this passage and for that to change our lives. So that's the goal. That's the goal of this sermon, is not just to know this passage, but to be transformed by it. Over the years, our family uh, has read a favorite Christmas story called uh, The Best Christmas Pageant Ever. And it is, such a, it is such a hilarious story that when we read it to our kids as they were growing up, we cracked, we, we cracked up almost as much as we did the first time we saw the movie Dumb and Dumber. That's how funny this book is. Well, lately, uh, we, uh, we have two grandchildren in Germany. One of them is almost 11, one of them is six. So as I did yesterday, this Christmas season, we are reading to them the best Christmas pageant ever. We read a chapter at a time, we do it over FaceTime, and there I am once again reading this story, not to my children, but to my grandchildren, and hearing them crack up as they hear this story. The first, the the story, by the way, is about a family called the Herdman family who never knew about the Christmas story before. And uh, there's a Christmas pageant that they always have at at the church, and these kids had never been to church, never heard the story. And the first line of the best Christmas pageant ever that says, it says this, the Herdman kids were the worst kids in the history of the world. And so what, as the story goes on, these kids end up being in the Christmas play, they learn the Christmas story, and by the end of the story, they discover a welcome, they discover a love that is an unsurpassing love And it's a story really of being transformed by by the love of God revealed in the Christmas story. So um, 
And you know what? That is the goal of this passage. The goal of this passage is for all of us to experience what those Herdman kids experienced in the best Christmas pageant ever. Now, before I tell you what the three points are going to be in this sermon, I want to give you, say a couple things to orient you to what is going on in this passage, because you'll notice in verse 14, Paul writes, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. So this is a prayer. This is Paul's prayer for them. And his goal is that they would experience the surpassing love of God. So one of the things he's doing here is he's praying for them. Why? Well, we learn last week in verse 13, it says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. So Paul is writing to people who are experiencing a loss of heart. And he says, I don't want you to lose heart. And then, he, and then he prays for them, and he wants them to experience, in a powerful way, the uh, surpassing love of God. So that's the first thing that happens, is he's praying for them, and that's what this is. This passage is a prayer. But I want to point out one other word, because how do, how do you and I experience the surpassing love of God beyond just knowing it in our heads and getting it into our hearts? One is through prayer, but the second is through faith. So look at verse 17, it says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now faith is a misunderstood word because a lot of people think that faith is either a blind leap or it is believing something against the evidence. Actually, faith simply means this, taking God at his word. Faith means taking God at his word. So I'm going to ask you to, to not only experience this as a prayer, but also to believe God's word today. You know, these days when I, pay, when I owe people money and I have to send them money, I use an app called Venmo. A lot of you use your Venmo app, and I send money to people, and people send money to me, send money to my kids or vendors or whatever. And what happens in Venmo is you get a notice that you have received this money and what you have to do is you have to believe that it's true that that money is, went into your checking account. And all you have is this, this statement in Venmo that the money is there, but you start spending the money. That's a little bit about what faith is like. Without even checking my bank account, I can start spending the money because I believe Venmo. What Paul is saying here when he uses the word faith is that God is giving you a message that he wants you to believe about his surpassing love. So this is a prayer to experience it, and another way that we experience it is by faith, which means taking God at his word. Now there's three changes that Paul is praying for in their lives and that I believe you and I can pray for in our lives today. The first one is this, from weakness to strength. The second is from being lost to being loved, and the third is from being empty to being filled, from emptiness to fullness. So that's my outline today. Let's talk first of all about Paul's prayer that they would be strengthened. I want you to take another look at verse 16. It says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now take a look at that verse. He says, one of the things, one of the gifts of the gospel is that when we are weak, God makes us strong from weakness to strength. And it says here in this verse 
that we are strengthened with power through his spirit, that is the Holy Spirit in, the, in our inner man or our inner person. So it's talking about the interior life of the believer and he wants all of us to understand that we can pray for the Holy Spirit to give us strength, from weakness to strength. Now why do, why do I need strength? Why do you need strength? Why do we need strength in our lives? Why do we need to pray for this? I have found over the last six months that this prayer is a prayer that, that I have prayed more than any other prayer for myself that I would be strengthened. It is such a, such a valuable and, and, and important prayer. Now why do I need to be strengthened? Well, I, I wanna give you three reasons, uh, two of which I believe every one of you will relate to and the first reason is a reason that only some of you will relate to. So why do I need, why do I need prayer for strength? Well, one of the reasons is simply um, that I'm getting older, I'm aging. So a lot of times Molly and I will wake up and we'll just feel like, we'll just feel like our body's aching. Do we have COVID or what? So we get it, and so there's something about, I, now by the way, I have loved my 60s, I've loved, I'm, I still have a few years left in my 60s, but I need to pray for strength because I can experience aging. So some of you know what that's like, some of you know what I'm talking about, others of you, you will be there someday, but I pr have to pray for strength in my life. But there's a second reason that I need to pray for strength, and this is one that I think that all of you can relate to, and that is the, the testing that God puts us through in our life. We have gone through some tests for the past six months, including one that persists, one that continues, and that is our experience of, of COVID. It has been a stress test for us, but you might be going through other things in your life right now that are testing you. And one of the reasons that we need strength is the strength to stand the test. Some of you in your job, professionally, you are experiencing testing at your work. I have a job that involves me in daily testing. So I have to pray for the Holy Spirit to take me from weakness to strength in order for me to fulfill what God wants me to do. There's a third reason why I believe that I need, that I need uh, to pray for strength, and I believe it's true of all of you as well, and that is the downward pull of sin in my heart. When I think about the, the struggle that I have in my thoughts and in my heart with various aspects of sin, I feel it as a gravitational pull on my heart. And so God has given to you and me the Holy Spirit to overcome the downward pressure and the downward pull of sin in our life and the downward pull of temptation in our life. So those are three reasons that I need to pray for strength. Now Paul goes on though, he, he, he adds to it, but I, and I want you to notice this really amazing verse in verse 17. Look at that again. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So he is restating the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life by saying that actually Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. You guys, that is an amazing, amazing truth and it's this when you became a Christian because of what Christ did for you on the cross he forgave you all of your sins but that was not the end of the story when a person becomes a Christian Christ 
through the Holy Spirit, takes up residence in our hearts. He comes to live within us. He comes to dwell within us. Theologians describe this as our union with Christ. Christ comes to dwell inside of us. The word for dwell, the word translated dwell in this passage is a very specific word. It's not a traveler that's just stopping for a while. This is not saying that our heart is an Airbnb and Jesus is coming for temporary lodging, but he is coming actually to dwell, to live, to stay there and to rule. If you remember the play Les Miserables, there's a great song in there called Master of the House. And that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to be master of the house. And so Christ has forgiven through the cross all of your sins, past, present, and future, but now he comes into your life for the purpose of changing you. So he comes there to live, he comes there to dwell through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he wants to be master of the house. And so he may talk to you from time to time. He may talk to you and said, I'm a little bit concerned about the dishonesty that I see in your life right now. I'm a little bit concerned about the hatred that I see in your heart right now. I'm a little bit concerned about the selfishness or about the pride or about the self-righteousness in your life. That is one of the things he does as master of the house. He says that he wants to go into every room of the house. He wants to inhabit our home and he wants to be master of the house. But there's another piece of good news in this. The fact that Christ dwells in you. What the Bible teaches, at, he dwells in your heart, he gives you a new heart. He gives you a new heart. What that means is a, is a heart with new desires, a desire to actually love God. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that Christ has placed within your heart a love for God that you did not have before? And second, the Bible teaches that because he's given you a new heart, he has placed in you a love for God's people. No matter what's going on in your relationship with them, there is something in your heart that if you have Christ dwelling in your heart, that he empowers you, he gives you a desire to love them, and then he gives you the power to live the Christian life. Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. We can pray that we would be strengthened in our hearts, strengthened in our inner person, and I guarantee you that all of us need his strength now. I want to go to the second uh, way that God wants to change our life based upon this passage. The second one is from being lost to being loved. First, it was from weakness to strength. The second is from being lost to being loved. I want to illustrate it this way. When our daughter, uh, our daughter Amy was born, uh, after several years, it was probably about when she was four, five, or six years old, I used to pray with Amy at night. And then I'd, I would teach her to pray, and then I would allow her to pray prayers. So one night, Amy prayed this prayer. She said, Dear Lord, I pray for Dad that he would want our family to have a cat. <laughs> now, I wasn't really looking for that. I wasn't looking for a cat. Well, a couple days later, Molly and I were on our walk, walking around the neighborhood. This is in Richmond, Virginia, when we were living there. And sure enough, there's this stray cat that follows us home. And we took in this cat, and we, had, we named him. We named this cat Oreo. Now, why do we call him Oreo? Well, he was a black cat, but he had a white streak. 
right across the front. So we named our cat Oreo. Oreo was a lost cat. Oreo was a stray cat. But we brought him into our home, and he had a home. In fact, when we moved to Florida, we brought Oreo with us. And we were, you know, we were feeding Oreo. The kids were loving on Oreo. And I think now Oreo has gone to be with the Lord. But that was a lost cat who was loved by a family. Now, why, now why, do, why that illustration? Well, that illustration describes what has happened to you and me. We were lost, but we are loved. The gospel says this, cheer up. You are more sinful than you ever imagined, but you are more loved than you've ever dreamed. We were lost, but now we're loved. So back to that story, the best Christmas pageant ever where it talks about the Herdman kids, the worst kids in the world. They were lost, but they experienced surpassing love. And you guys, that is the gospel. If, you, if we don't get the fact that the Herdman children are the story of us, we will never get the love of God. We will never feel our need for the love of God. Now, at the end of verse 17, did you notice a phrase there? I didn't read it until now. He says that you being rooted and grounded in love. So the first thing we learn about love here and understand what the Bible teaches about how we are loved is that we are rooted and we are grounded in love. In other words, it is the foundation of your life. When our son Jonathan was first born, when, he, when I was there in, in, the, uh, in the delivery room with Molly and, you know, Jonathan came out and they let me hold my firstborn child. They let me hold my firstborn son. And so I held him like this and the first words that escaped from my mouth were these, I love you, I love you. And he, had, he hadn't done anything for me. He had not done anything right. He had not done anything wrong, but, but I loved him, not because of what he had done, but I loved him because he was mine. One of the things you learn about all of us as we were growing up as children, and those of you that had children would relate to this, psychologists say that children need something. They need something that is called emotional object constancy. Now what that means is, is that a child is, is so bonded with his or her parents that when the parents leave the room, they don't freak out. They know that they are loved and it takes time, it takes years to experience that kind of love and that kind of bonding, but that's what we all need. So as we go through life, the Bible teaches that we are rooted and grounded in love. Even if we lack that growing up, God has brought us into his family. He is our heavenly father. He is our perfect heavenly father. So as Christians, though we often forget it, though I often forget it, that I often uh, lose sight of the fact that I'm rooted and grounded in love, it is so powerful, powerful for me to understand that. And then he goes on and talks specifically about the dimensions of Christ's love. Look at what he says in verse 18. Remember, Paul is still praying for them. He's praying that they would grasp this love. He says that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, here it is, that surpasses knowledge. The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, what do we do with this thing about the breadth and length and height and depth. 
Well, as we often do in our bulletin, there's an excellent quote. We have several quotes on the front end of your bulletin, but I want to call your attention to one of the quotes because John Stott, the late John Stott, uh, pastor of All Souls Church in London back in the day, has some excellent thoughts on what it means when it talks about the breadth and length and height and depth and these amazing dimensions of the surpassing love of God. But look at what he says in the quote by John Stott. He says, the love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind. Now that's part of the message of Ephesians, all types of people, Jews and Gentiles, all types of people around the world. The love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind. It's long enough to last for eternity. In other words, God loves us, but it doesn't run out. In the same way that Christ dwells with us forever, he loves us forever. Long enough to last for eternity. It is deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner, including the Herdman kids, the worst kids in the history of the world. It is deep enough. It is deep, deep enough. It is deep enough for you if you feel that in your life you wonder if God will welcome you if you come to faith in Christ because you think he could never forgive me. It is deep enough to reach all of us. And finally, it is high enough to exalt someone to heaven, to bring someone all the way to heaven. That is just a glimpse into the surpassing love of God. That's the second way that, that Paul wants us to be changed by this passage. The first is going from weakness to strength. The second is going from being lost to being loved, like Oreo the cat. And then the third one, the third one is to go from emptiness to fullness. That's the third thing that we see in this passage. I want you to look at the verse where it says that, back to verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What does it mean when the Bible says that, that, God, that, that Paul prays that they would be transformed by this, that they have gone from emptiness and fullness. Well, all of us need to go from emptiness to fullness in our life. Have you ever tried to operate a car without gas? My dad used to say, one time I ran out of gas, and my dad said to me, Mike, he said, with your gas tank, if you keep the top half full, the bottom half will take care of itself. In other words, keep your gas tank full. And that's the way the Christian life is. You and I need to tank up. We need to be filled. We need to be, have him fill our emptiness. Now I want to talk about uh, two types of ways that, that we are filled up to the fullness of God. The first is individually, but the second is a church. I want to talk about it individually. We all need, we all are empty, and we need to be filled up to the fullness of God. Jim Cunningham, who is a member of our church, has this really cool concept that he talks about. And I, I always love it when Jim talks about it because I, I always feel inadequate to express it the way that Jim does. But Jim talks about what he calls emotional wealth. Emotional wealth. In other words, all of us in spiritual poverty do not have the capacity to love as Christ has loved us. We can't do it in ourselves. But there's something about the gospel, there's something about the good news of the gospel that fills us up and gives us emotional wealth. The problem in my life is that I leak. The problem with me is that I need to be filled up again. And I want to give you an example of that, of how that has worked in my life, even recently, even, 
a guy in his 60s. So I um, was talking to a family member recently. This is Christmas time, and I wonder if maybe your family would, would be going through something like this. We were debating what our safety protocols would be together as a family in order, order for us to get together safely. So it turns into um, a little bit of a dance within our family because of the different views that people have about COVID, how seriously they take it, how concerned they are about getting it, all that kind of stuff. Well, one thing I can let you know about me is that my view is actually based on science. Did I tell you that? My view, my understanding of COVID and my actions and my boundaries are totally based on science. Now, that's not true of anybody else, but I just know because I read something that was posted on Facebook by a doctor, and I know. Now I know that I'm, that I'm right. Well, anyway, let me take that back. So anyway, I was talking without getting into the details, without naming names, last week, sure enough, Molly was on a FaceTime call with one of our kids. We have adult kids. Maybe we did something wrong reading the best Christmas pageant ever when they were growing up. I don't know. But so, so Molly's talking to this, this other person in our family. And Molly says, hey, what do you want us to do to like stay safe for when all our family's here? I'm like, Molly, do not ask that question. Like, do not put us in the position of having to be told, I mean, we make good choices, right? I'm based on, you know, and uh, so sure enough, the person mentioned something that I disagreed with. And I did something, you guys, and don't hate me for this, but Molly's on a FaceTime call with just her iPhone. I leaned into that call, and I, I looked right into that, and I made sure my face was there, and I, and I said to this family member, I said, we're not going to do that. <laughs> and this person looked back at me through the screen and they said, Dad, you've done this before. <laughs> You're getting defensive. Now, I would like to have a conversation. Okay, I'll have the conversation. My views are based on science, for crying out loud. <laughs> so we're gonna, we, we need to have this conversation. And then she says something that just drove me up the wall. She said... Let's not have the conversation now. Let's both cool off and then we'll talk. Doggone it. I wanted to win the conversation right then. I got my, I, I got my gander up. Well, it took me a few hours. Now, what was going on, by the way? That, what I described to you is Mike Tilley operating on emotional, without emotional wealth. My bank account could not handle a conversation with one of my kids. I couldn't handle it. I didn't have enough in my bank account. So what I had to do was I had to spend a few hours and it was all I could do to even pray because I was rehearsing all the arguments in my head and I was so angry. And I finally prayed. And you know what? What shifted in me while I was praying? It's like I was, I guess I was at the gas station getting tanked up. But my heart shifted from anger to empathy. And I thought to myself, you know what? I never asked one question about why she was concerned about this. It turns out she, one of her close friends, her dad, had just died of COVID. I didn't take the time to say, 
hey, how's your friend doing? How are you doing with all that? I didn't do that. All I said was, I'm not going to follow, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. Quit judging me. I don't want anyone to judge me right now for, for what I'm saying. But I, but, I, but I realized the next time I talk to this person, I'm going to actually, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to apologize. Remember, Christ lives in my heart, and I'm in the bedroom of my, the, heart of the, ho the home of my heart with the door shut, not letting Jesus in. And Jesus saying, Mike, open up the door. I need to talk to you about that conversation you just screwed up on. You can do better than that. First thing I want you to do is apologize. I said, well, do I have to admit I was defensive? Because I can't stand that word. You call me defensive, and I'm going to be defensive about it. Do I, have to, do, I have to do I have to admit I was defensive because I don't know if I was? Yeah, you do. Like, you need to admit that. You need to own that. So sure enough, we got together, another FaceTime call, and I said, first thing I want to do is say, I'm really sorry for how I handled that. I was defensive. You say, Mike, you liar. Quit judging. I was defensive, and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And we ended up having the best conversation. Then I said this, I said, you know what? We want to have the best Christmas ever in our family. And you, I want, let's talk about it. Let's have a really good conversation. And we had a, because all she said was, Dad, I just want to talk. All, you say that to me, and I'm, I'm suddenly, she just want to talk. We had an amazing conversation. We might have a couple things still to resolve, so pray for me that the Holy Spirit would strengthen me, that Christ would dwell in my heart through faith, but mo mainly that I would have emotional wealth. So, see, the, the, it says we go from emptiness to fullness as individuals when we pray, when we gather for worship, when we read God's Word. We need, we need to be prayed for. Molly probably prayed for me because she watched the whole thing happen. The second thing in this passage that we may be filled up to the fullness of God is that as a church, we can be filled up. And I want you to realize, we've talked about this before, the church is the household of God. It's the temple. The, it, it, it's the new temple. When we gather for worship, when we were singing those Irish songs this morning, God was here. God is dwelling here God is with us. So you guys, this passage, this passage is given not just for our knowledge, but to change our lives, to go from weakness to strength, to go from loss to being loved, to go from being empty to being, having the fullness of God. Christmas. Do you guys know what the word Emmanuel means? Because there's a song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and I think the word Emmanuel appeared. Well, in Isaiah 7, 14, a thousand years before Jesus came, it said the virgin would be with child and they would call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. At the incarnation, when Jesus was born, the angel said he is Emmanuel, which means God with us. In other words, Isaiah 7 was quoted in Matthew chapter 1. Well, I want to tell you something else, you guys. The God who was promised in Isaiah 7, the God, the fulfillment in the coming of Christ in Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2, that God with us 
continues to be the promise of God for his people throughout history through the Holy Spirit. And it's through him that we understand this surpassing love that changes our lives. Will you pray for that in your life? Will you, will you, when you go from here, treat your family, treat your friends in a way that comes from emotional wealth, the wealth that the gospel gives to you? Can we be that kind of church that is filled up to the fullness of God? Let's pray. Lord, I think the first thing that we want to express to you is that we love you. And the only reason we can say those words is because you first loved us. So I pray for my brothers and sisters here and within the sound of my voice and for myself that you would strengthen us for the tests and the temptations in our lives. We pray that we would experience the love of Christ revealed at the cross and resurrection. We pray that as individuals and as a church, you would replace the emptiness in us with your fullness. And we pray with thanksgiving in Jesus' name, amen.